0: So I'd like to start off with a quick poll. I wonder if you could raise your hand if you have ever been disappointed by an elected official. (laughs) Anybody? Maybe like 95% of us, right? 5% are very content or else don't follow the news or something. That's okay. Let me tell you about a story of my disenchantment with an elected official, the president. Aaron's getting nervous that I'm going to get political from the pulpit. (laughs) The president of the student body at my high school. I voted for him. We'll call his name, we'll call him Jarvis. I voted for Jarvis. (laughs) I don't remember what his platform was, but I remember something that he promised. He promised that if we voted for him as student body class president, he would work hard to get us a vending machine on campus. And all the athletes were excited about this because a vending machine meant that we could get Gatorade after practice. Uh, because there was no store that was open that we could get this from. And so he got a lot of votes, and he probably would have won anyway. He was a popular guy. But at the end of his tenure, guess how many vending machines we had on campus? Zero. Zero. Right. It turns out Jarvis was a senior. He didn't have to worry about reelection. <laughs> <laughs> he, he had other concerns. He just wanted to plan awesome parties. Vending machines, as, as he realized how hard it was to kind of coordinate that and work with the business side of things, he just said that was too much work, <laughs> and, and, and he dropped that promise. You know, I, I guess I should probably thank him. Really, he's just preparing me for, for life after high school, where I could continue to be disappointed by campaign promises. I get the sense as I talk to people, as I peruse social media, that there is this growing sense of disappointment in leaders, in general. We're doing the series on on a disenchanted age, encountering God in a disenchanted age. And I can think of very few things that disenchant us more than leadership. And it's not just political leadership. Let's talk about the elephant in the room, religious leadership. In 1985, there was a Gallup poll that found that 67% of Americans rated clergy as having a high level of honesty and ethics. Not awesome, but not bad. Two out of three. By 2013, this number was down to 47%. And it's not really any surprise. We've seen the headlines. We've heard about the scandals. We've heard terrible examples of abuse of power, of people mismanaging money in the church. And it's not just adults. Children. Christianity Today, earlier this year, reported on a survey of 2,600 children that found that less than half of children believed that clergy were generally trustworthy. Now, that's bad news, but there are some other groups that also have some bad news, some other leaders in our society. Any teachers in the room? Teachers? My wife is a teacher. Thank you so much for what you do for our children. Here's how they reward you. 45% of them think that their teachers are trustworthy, Not necessarily their teachers, but on average, as a group. 27% think journalists are trustworthy. Politicians? 12%. (laughs) By contrast, 30% thought that the average person on the street was trustworthy. So that means that the average child, according to this poll, is two and a half times more likely to trust a random stranger on the street than a politician. Bad news for leadership. We are a nation that has difficulty trusting our leaders because we've been let down so often. But lest we think that this is a modern problem, allow me to draw our attention to some ancient leaders. Let's talk about Moses. Moses killed somebody, ran away into the desert. Then God tries to call him to lead his people, and Moses makes every excuse in the book to get out of it. Well, God conscripts him anyway. He starts leading his people. Turns out he's terrible at delegation. His father-in-law has to come in to keep him from burning out. Then he, he gets so upset with the people that he disobeys God and gets disqualified from going into the promised land. Fast forward a bit, you get King David. He's a pretty good king. And then he sleeps with another man's wife and kills him to cover it up. He has terrible parenting issues. His son Solomon starts off okay then chases after literally hundreds of women and their false gods. The Bible is not naive about leadership. And the point of all this is not to normalize bad leadership. But what we see consistently in the Bible is this contrast, almost a trajectory, this looking forward to this this perfect leader. We have all of these, these flawed human leaders that disappoint God's people that disappoint God again and again, but there's this hope, this looking forward to a better leader. I don't know about you, but I get tired. I get tired of the headlines. I get tired of the bad news about leadership, of leaders who abuse the poor and the vulnerable and the weak. I get tired of leaders breaking their promises. I get tired of leaders who tie these heavy burdens on their people and don't lift a finger to help. There is this longing that I think we have for good leadership. C.S. Lewis, Anglican author and apologist, famously said that creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction exists for these desires. A baby feels hunger, well, there is such a thing as food. And I think that we have this desire for good leadership. Every culture that I know of in the world has some sort of leadership structure. And after millennia of trying to do leadership, we still can't seem to do it right. We long for a leader who is going to provide what we find that only God seems to be able to provide. See, God's plan from the beginning was that he would be the leader of his people. That was the plan. God would be the king, the great king. God would be the good shepherd. And in Exodus 13 this passage that we read today, we encounter just a glimpse of what it is like with God as a leader. A snapshot of his character. And what we find is a leader that blows away any preconceived notions we may have about leadership, that blows away any other leader that we can possibly set up. And I want to look at that today in chapter 13, because what we find is a leader that we can trust, the leader that what we long for. So please turn with me to Exodus 13, and we're gonna begin in verse 17. The first thing we see in this passage is a leader who shows concern for his people's weakness. A leader who shows concern for his people's weakness. Listen to verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war, And returned to Egypt. So apparently, there was a better way to get to Canaan than trekking through the desert. There's a shortcut. There's a way. He could have taken them up along the Mediterranean through the land of the Philistines, but there was a small problem with that path. They would have had to fight their way in. Now, was God worried about a fight? No. He just brought the most powerful king on earth to his knees. They had God on their side. What did they have to worry about? But God knew what his people could handle. They hadn't learned to trust him yet. They had not been following him for very long. And he knew that. He knew what they could handle. He knew what they could take. So instead of making them prove themselves, right, he could have done that. He could have used this fighting with the Philistines as kind of a a testing ground, get the strongest and the bravest, get them through and plant them in the land of Canaan, send all the weaklings back to Egypt. He could have done that. Would we have blamed him? Right? Soccer team, You draft the best. They're tryouts. If you run a company and somebody's not pulling their weight, that person leaves. But God's leadership model is not the survival of the fittest. What does he do? In his constant love and mercy, he takes a different route with them. Verse 18, but God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, which is an odd choice because it kind of cornered them but he was setting up this situation where he would be able, instead of of demanding that they prove themselves to him, he's setting them up to prove himself to them. He brings them to the Red Sea where he is going to part the waters before him and destroy their enemies behind them. God is a leader who understands the weakness of his people. And he's still that kind of leader. I don't know if you've noticed this, but Christianity is a weird religion. If you've grown up, In in the Christian faith, you might take this for granted, but you would think that our acts of charity, our prayers, our worship, that these would be things that kind of qualify us for acceptance, that they would be sort of the tryouts for the Christian faith. But what we find is that these are the products of our acceptance. God accepts us when we are weak. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is the God of the weak and the strong. He cares for the brave and the cowardly, the rich and the poor, the popular, the marginalized, the successful, the failures. And he can be that kind of leader because he has the ability to create in us, to make us the kind of people that he is calling us to be. This is the amazing thing about God as a leader. When God commands something, his commands always come with a promise because he never tells us to do something that he himself will not give us the strength to do. That is the kind of leader that I long to follow, a God who cares for the weakness of his people. Second, in this passage, we see a leader who keeps his promises. should be a no-brainer, right? Good leaders keep their promises, Uh, but it's not. My, My student body president was not an anomaly. And it's not that our leaders are bad people all the time, right? A lot of times leaders come in expecting that they're going to really change things, and then they get there and it's hard. Or maybe, maybe they face obstacles that they didn't expect, or, or maybe they are being sneaky and deceitful, right? For different reasons, our leaders let us down. Well, there's this interesting detail in verse 19 about Joseph's bones, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. Why this morbid detail about the bones? I can almost imagine the packing list. You know, Moses and his wife Zipporah are sitting there with a checklist, and Zipporah's going, okay, hiking backpack, check. Walking staff, check. Sandals, check. 400-year-old box of bones. Really, Moses, Do we need to bring the bones? Yes, they needed to bring the bones. Why? These bones are this sign, this almost object lesson of God's faithfulness to his people, of his faithfulness to his promises. See, God had made a promise to the people of Israel that he would one day come and take them and plant them in the land of Canaan. And Joseph believed this promise so much that when he died, he said, you know what, don't bother burying me. Bury me in Canaan, because I know that God is coming back, and he is going to take us there. Now, it may have taken a little longer than Joseph expected, but carrying these bones with them to Canaan was a sign to them that Joseph's trust in God's promises was not misplaced. God is not a politician who promises what his people want to hear, and then when things get tough, abandon the promises, which is good news for us. God's made us a lot of promises in our, in our colic today, talked about us having the strength to strive after his promises. Well, why would we strive after something if it might not pan out? God promises a new heart and a new spirit for his people. He promises peace that passes all understanding. He promises to be with us always. He promises a new heaven and a new earth. He promises eternal life for those who trust in him. And we get small glimpses of fulfillment of these promises, we might experience the peace that passes understanding, but we await the fullness of their fulfillment. And we can wait because we know that God has proven himself to be a leader who keeps his promises. We can carry around these mortal bones of ours, knowing that when these bones die, they don't stay dead. God will raise us up and take us to the promised land. He has promised us a resurrection and we can trust it because we know that God's promises are true. He is a God who keeps his promises. He cares for the weak. He keeps his promises. And third, we see in this passage a leader who leads from the front. Look at verse 21. And the Lord went before them, by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. We've all experienced out of touch leaders, right? The boss that doesn't take the time to understand what your job is about. I had a boss that I did not meet for about, actually, I, I met her once in about a month of working at the organization, my direct supervisor. The politician who can't be bothered to live in the district they're representing. The pastor who can't be bothered to darken the door of the parishioners. The father or mother who's not there when the family so desperately needs them. We've all encountered Those leaders. But that's not how God operates. He's not a backseat driver who's out of sight, who who shouts commands and leaves us to figure out how to deal with it. That's not how God works. He leads from the front. Look at what He does He sets up a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire to lead their way. He, He gives them this tangible evidence that He's with them. You have to understand, these people left everything they knew, they left their homes, they had nothing. They needed something to hold on to. They were going through the desert and God gave them this visible sign that he's with them. Leading the way, literally, physically. Not only that, but he provided for what they needed. Why a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire? Well, I suppose uh, at one level, these these are signs of God's presence throughout the Old Testament. We see it consistently and in the New Testament. But there, there may be more to it than that. You know, my, my father lives in Jordan, in Amman, and uh, I visited him on occasion, and it's, it is hot there in the summer, especially in the desert. My dad's an avid, avid biker, and some buddies of his, uh, and, and, and he decided it would be a good idea to bike from Amman to Jerusalem. <laughs> and they did it. They, they pulled it off. But as they were going up, the Jerusalem's up on a hill, and as they, were, as they were biking up this hill, it was so hot in the blazing heat of the day, that finally they literally found a ditch in the side of the road and lay down in the ditch to escape from the heat. How incredible that God provided his people with a pillar of cloud to shield them in the day and lead their path. But do you know what's better than walking through the desert during the day? Walking at night, because then you don't have to deal with the heat at all. And God led them with a pillar of fire at night to light their way so that they could travel in both day and night. God provided everything that they needed for their journey. Furthermore, God did not leave them alone. It said that the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire did not depart from before the people. He's with his people, leading them. See, we have these popular depictions of God that have him sitting up on a throne in the clouds, with a beard, looking down at all the little people below, distant, removed from his people. But what is the biblical expression of God's kingship? It is a God who so identifies with his people that he takes on our humanity and walks among us, Jesus Christ. He didn't come as a wealthy princeling. He came as a poor carpenter. And because He took on our humanity. He experienced the things that we experience. He suffered betrayal. He suffered loneliness, hunger, torture, grief, injustice, even death. God is not disconnected from our lives. And this is good news because it means that when Jesus tells us to do something, he's not asking us to do something that he has not already done. He has lived the life that he calls us to lead. He has died the death that we will one day perhaps die. He rose again, paving the way for our resurrection and went before us to prepare a place for us at the Father's right hand. Jesus is a leader who leads us from the front. Now you may wonder, okay, that's fine to say that, but where is my pillar of cloud? Where is my pillar of fire? If God gave me a pillar of fire, I would believe. But Jesus didn't leave us alone. He told his disciples, actually, that it was better for them that he go, because he was going to send someone. Jesus was only available in one place at one time. But he was going to send the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit that ministers God's presence to all of us, every single one of us, who have trusted in Jesus Christ, who have been baptized into his name, have received the promised Holy Spirit. And when we read scripture, he speaks God's word to our hearts. He ministers God's presence here through through you guys. As you guys show God's love to one another, as you show God's love to other people, as as you seek his justice, you are displaying God's justice. You are displaying God's love. The apostle Paul calls church, the body of Christ. It makes Jesus visible to the world. He ministers his presence to us here at the table. Does he not? Every week we come and receive this tangible sign of the promise and presence of God. He ministers his presence to us, his leadership through his word, which shows us the way that we should go. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God is still a God that leads us from the front. So what does this mean for us? What does it mean that God cares for the weak? What does it mean that he keeps his promises? What does it mean that he leads from the front? Well, I want to speak to a couple groups of people here today. First, I want to speak to those of us who have been called to some area of leadership in our lives. First off, I want to liberate you from something. Okay? You are not the anointed Messiah. All right, let's get that out of the way. That means that you will very likely at some point, disappoint the people under your care. I'm sorry, but it's true. And when someone brings that to your attention, you don't have to lash out at them. You don't have to get defensive because you're human. You are an imperfect vessel. But it doesn't mean that we should resign ourselves to bad leadership. God has given us an example of what good leadership looks like. It's possible that that God is giving you the opportunity to re-enchant leadership for the people under your care. Are you leading your people right now, those of you who are leaders? I don't mean giving orders. There's a difference. Are you are you leading them? Are you leading from the front? God is going to hold you accountable for your leadership, for the way that you treat his sheep. Where is God calling you to lead? In your family, perhaps? In your place of work? In your school? Where is he calling you to bring his leadership to bear in a broken world? It might be during our prayer time today. You need to do some some prayer work. Maybe God has been, been, been point, shining a light on an area of your heart. Maybe you've been leading for your own benefit, for your own prestige. God is calling you to a different kind of leadership. I want to speak to another group as well. I want to speak to those who are desperate for a leader. Maybe those who have been disenchanted with leaders, which, let's be honest, maybe most of us. Perhaps you're in a situation where you feel like like you've been backed into a corner and there's no other way that you can go. You've lost all of your options and you need somebody to show you what to do. I want you to know that there is hope. There is a leader who cares for you in your weakness. A leader that you can trust. See, leaders are gonna let you down. At some point, the White House is gonna let you down. City Hall is gonna let you down. Your pastor is a great guy but don't put all of your trust in him because he's gonna let you down, perhaps. He's human. I'm human. All of these people in your life may disappoint you, but there is a leader that you can trust, a leader who cared for you so much that he was willing to suffer death for love of you. Can you trust that leader? Perhaps you have a sense that God is leading you somewhere and you're afraid to go there because you don't know if you're going to have the strength to do that one thing that he's calling you to do. I want you to know that you can trust him. He sees your weakness. He knows what you can handle, and he is not going to call you somewhere and not give you the strength to carry on. During our prayer time today, you may have some prayer work during communion to talk to things, talk about things with God. God can handle that. He can handle your, your, your struggle with trusting leaders because of disappointment. Talk to him. Trust him. Can you follow his lead? Father, we are a people who need your leadership. We are a people who have tried to usurp the reins of leadership. Lord, it's ever since our ancestors usurped your leadership, we have been paying for it. And Lord, we need you to be king in our lives. We need you to be our great shepherd. And we ask that you would give us the strength to trust you we pray for those of us who are called to be leaders. We pray that you would give us a vision of your leadership, a reenchantment for our culture of leadership. Lord, teach us to love your people as you love them, and teach us to receive that love from you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.